Well, let's find our place in Matthew 28 this morning, a familiar passage of Scripture to be sure. Um, But uh, the Lord has given me something to bring to you today that I trust will be a help to you. Matthew 28, and we'll begin in verse number 17. I think I'm safe in saying this, that whatever endeavors we have in life, we want to be successful, don't we? I don't know of anybody that gets up in the morning setting out to be a failure. Now, let me, let me pause there and say this. I, I agree with Curtis Hudson who said that you learn more from your failures than you do your successes. I, I agree with that. Um, and uh, so there, there's, there's, there's a role that failure plays in life, but we don't. We don't just want to be failures. We want to succeed. And certainly we want to be successful Christians. And if you don't even harbor at least the desire to be a successful Christian, there's a serious problem that you need to look into. Because even, even the sorriest Christians want to be better, you know. And, uh, and I know I do. And I can be pretty sorry sometimes. There's many factors that go into successful Christianity. Would you agree with me that if you're going to be a successful Christian, you need to have a prayer life? You need to have a prayer life. John R. Rice famously said all of our failures are prayer failures. I don't know if it's all of them. There's a whole lot of them that are. Richard A. Burr said this. He said, one's spiritual life will never rise above the practice of one's private prayer life. That's convicting right there. And then Leonard Ravenhill, who is, God has used him to bring more conviction in my life. Second only to the Holy Spirit is Leonard Ravenhill. This guy, man, he said this, no man, I don't care how colossal his intellect, no man is greater than his prayer life. It's interesting, when you look at, when you look at the, uh, the armor of faith in, in Ephesians chapter 6, we think about the breastplate of righteousness, the, the, you know, the, the sword of the Spirit and all of that. But, but listen to this, Ephesians 6 verse 17, take the helmet of the salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, but that's not where it ends. None of that's going to help you if you don't practice verse 18, praying always. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. In fact, in fact, Paul summed it up really succinctly in 1 Thessalonians 5. Pray without ceasing. So a prayer life is absolutely indispensable to being a successful Christian. So is church. I'm going to tell you. I've had a belly full of these pop theologians that say you don't need church to be a good Christian. You don't need a church to be saved. But you cannot develop and grow as a Christian without the local assembly of believers that God gave his son to die for to create. And I will not apologize for believing in the importance of the local New Testament church in the life of a Christian. It's critical. It's critical. Kevin DeYoung said this. He uh, had, a, had a part in Campus Crusade for Christ. The man who attempts Christianity without the church, listen to this now, and this is convicting. The man who attempts Christianity without the church shoots himself in the foot, shoots his children in the leg, and shoots his grandchildren in the heart. 
Think about it. How many times have we seen a Christian that church became less of importance and it got less and less for the next generation and by the third generation they weren't even around Christ? Ken Hughes said, on the most elementary level, you do not have to go to church to be a Christian. You do not have to go home to be married either. But in both cases, if you do not, you will have a very poor relationship. Here's one. This guy's a little bit lesser known, not much of an impact in Christendom, but he said, together, to gather with God's people in united adoration of the Father is as necessary to the Christian life as prayer. That was some guy named Martin Luther. But more important than that, what does God say about it? Hebrews 10, verse 24, and let us consider one another, to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. I am thankful for the ministry that Livestream provides. I am thankful that people who cannot be at church physically have that option. But never, ever misunderstand this. It is no substitute for assembling with other believers in the house of God. God never intended that. So we'd agree that to be a a successful Christian, a prayer life is necessary. Church attendance and church involvement is necessary. Uh, Would you agree the Bible study is necessary? Yeah. Charles Ryrie, many of you have a Ryrie study Bible. Tremendous man of God. He's in heaven now. The Bible is the greatest of all books. To study it is the noblest of all pursuits. To understand it, the highest of all goals. Billy Graham. Think what you will about Billy Graham. God used him. If you're ignorant of God's word, you will always be ignorant of God's will. That's true. Deal Moody said, I never saw a useful Christian who was not a student of the Bible. What did God tell Joshua? This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou, sh- thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, then thou shalt have good success. So, to be a successful Christian, you've got to have a prayer life. You've got to be involved in church. You've got to read and study your Bible. But there's one ingredient that is frequently neglected, and it's the ingredient of our witness. Our witness. And that leads us to our text. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. The last thing that Jesus said before returning to heaven was the Great Commission. He said it here. He said it in Mark 16, 15, Luke 24, 45 through 48, John 20, verse 21, and Acts 1, 8. He said it five times. If Jesus says something one time, it's important. He said it five times, and it was the last thing he said before he went to heaven. When he says it, he's been on the earth for 40 days past his resurrection. And in those 40 days, no less than 513 people have seen him resurrected. No less than 513. And now he's about to ascend back to heaven. 
And so it stands to reason that if you would be a successful Christian, not only should you have a prayer life, not only should you be involved in your church, not only should you read and study your Bible, but you've got to be a worshipful witness. A worshipful witness. Father, would you help us today? Help me to rightly divide your word of truth and be a help to your people. I need this message. If nobody else in here needs it, I do. Lord, help us all to be the witnesses we should do, worshipful witnesses. And may Christ be lifted up. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now remember in verse number 17, it all begins with worship. I think sometimes we miss that. There are people that will go out there and they'll knock on doors, they'll pass, on, pass out tracts, they'll do all kinds of things. They'll get on social media and earnestly defend the faith. But somewhere along the line, they forgot to worship. And if you're not worshipful, your witness is not going to be as effective. Look at verse number 17 again. Look at where it starts. When they saw him, what did they do? They worshiped him. Now, we don't see him physically anymore. Where do we see him now? That book. How long has it been since you've seen Jesus? Because when you see him, it'll make you want to worship. It's interesting. And I'm not against raising your hands. I do it sometimes, and I'm not against it. But when I see Jesus as he is, it makes me not want to get high. It makes me want to get low. It makes me want to get low. If we're going to use worship as our template, we need to, we need to have a working definition for all working off of. This thing is shorting or something. I think it's probably this. So uh, let me just, I think I'm just going to stay off of it because it's going to keep doing that, I think. Um, so, brother, if you'll give me this to pull up your mic, I'll try, to, I'll try to stay close. It's been doing it the last couple of weeks. I probably. Testing, one, two, hey. <laughs> now I've got to decide which hand I want to keep the clicker in because I'm not comfortable either way. <laughs> so let's talk about worship. Let's say what worship's going to be. Worship is the consistent, appropriate response to all that God is, says, and does. And worship involves three things. It involves awareness, reverence, and obedience. That's what we're going to call worship. The consistent, appropriate response to all that God is, says, and does. It involves awareness, reverence, and obedience. Now, having established this baseline of worship, how do we go about being successful witnesses for him? All right, so we're working off of worship here. I'm going to go ahead and give you the three points. That does not mean you can write them down and leave. But I'm going to go ahead and give you the three points. You ready? Here it is. The first thing you have to do to be a successful Christian in the matter of your witness is you've got to have, some, you've got to have purpose. You've got to have purpose. Then number two, you've got to have a plan. 
But that's not going to help you if you're not working off a promise. A purpose, a plan, and a promise. Okay? Your note-taking is largely over now. So let's get into it. Let's start with our purpose. Our purpose. I need one more hand. Verse 28, I'm sorry, verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus says, All what is given to him? Power. Now you understand there's there's two words for power in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he tells the disciples, Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The word power there is the Greek word dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite. It means, it means explosive transformational power. That is not the word that's used here. When Jesus in, in Matthew 28 says, All power is given unto me, that is a Greek word called exousia, and it literally means authority. So he could just as easily be saying, All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Okay? Now, the third word in verse number 19 is so important. So let's look at verse 19. Go ye what? Therefore. What is therefore referencing? It's saying, in light of the sovereign authority of Jesus Christ, go ye. I think we found our purpose. I'm going to tell you some things that may surprise you. In the matter of our witness, in the matter of telling people about Jesus Christ, in the matter of reaching out with the gospel, our primary purpose in witnessing is not to fill this church. Our primary purpose in witnessing is not to scratch that itch that we have that we don't feel guilty that we didn't do anything for God today. I got that itch too, y'all. The primary purpose for witnessing is not reforming America, although it is true if you want to change America, get people saved. The primary purpose for witnessing, listen to this, is not even to get people saved. It's not. The primary purpose for witnessing is being obedient to the fivefold command of my sovereign Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, will those other things happen? Yes. We will see America change for the better. We will see people come into church. We will feel better about our Christianity. We will see people come to Christ. But fundamentally, the reason that I have to be a witness is because Jesus told me to. Because if it's not, if that's not the reason, then when those other reasons break down, we quit. Well, I've been door knocking my whole life and never won anybody to Christ. I've been passing out tracts my whole life and America's no better. If those are your reasons, then you're going to quit. But if my reason is I'm going to do this because my sovereign God said so, that is an unchangeable purpose. We cannot say that we fully love Jesus if we're not obeying him, can we? What do you say? If you love me, keep my commandments. I'm going to make a statement. It hits me as hard as it's going to hit you. So if you're mad at me after I say this, I'm mad at me too. Hear it now. We believe, we, we see five times in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, 
Five times Jesus issued the Great Commission. It's a command, right? It's not a request. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Five times. With that in mind, right now, I am either an intentional witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ or I am living in rebellion to my God. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be here every Tuesday for visitation or you have to go out every Saturday with your tracks. That's not what I'm saying. But you know whether or not you're attempting to reach people for Christ in your life. We have a purpose. Tell you what else we got. Man, I'm glad we don't just have a purpose. We got a plan. Aren't you glad that when Jesus gives us commands, he doesn't just leave it up to us. He, he shows us how to do it. We got a plan. Look at verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. It's been said, and rightly so, that a goal without a plan is just a dream. Jesus gave us orders, and then he gave us a plan to follow as we bear witness to his gospel. And it's made up of three basic instructions. Here it is. Here's the first one. You ready? Evangelize. What's evangelize? That's giving people the gospel, telling them that there is a Savior who, who died, was buried, and rose again to save them from their sins, and they can go to heaven if they'll trust Christ as their Savior. Evangelize. Okay? Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's evangelism. Then, embrace. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. When you get saved, when now I'm not talking about the universal church of all saved people. I'm talking about the local church. When do you become part of a local church? When you're baptized. So, what are we doing when we baptize somebody? We're embracing them. We're bringing them into the family, aren't we? So here's this plan. First, I want you to evangelize people, and then I want you to embrace them. Hey, don't just give them the gospel and then leave them out there to rot on the vine. Embrace them and bring them in. Evangelize, embrace, and then edify. Build them up. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Build them up. Edify them. Teach them. Okay? So the plan has three basic, three basic instructions, evangelize, embrace, and edify. But within these instructions are some important observations. I want you to notice, first of all, they're unambiguous. He doesn't leave any room for, any room for, for real debate. Go ye. If I send my children to do an errand for me, and I say, go ye, I'm making sure they understand I'm talking to you, and you got to go. Well, what's ambiguous about Jesus saying, go ye? Well, I... I don't think he means me. I mean, I'm, I'm not a very good speaker. I'm not very good at talking to people. Let me go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. The last slide says, so what? He doesn't say, go ye unless you're not comfortable with it. Now, there are different ways that different people can witness. 
But the point is, we all got to go, and it's all ye. It's unambiguous, right? Okay. Something else we need to notice about this. Not only is it unambiguous, well, let me give you, let me give you a verse for that. Luke 24, 45. This is another episode of the Great Commission. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. I'm talking to you. That's unambiguous. Number two, his plan is also unbiased. Go ye therefore and teach Europe. Go ye therefore and teach the wealthy. Go ye therefore and teach Republicans. Go ye therefore and teach safe governmented countries. That's a terrible way to put that. No. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. You know what he means? He means everybody. He means your Muslim neighbor. He means the homosexual. He didn't care about color. He didn't care about orientation. He didn't care about ethnic background. He said all nations. By the way, he said that to Peter who was a racist. Peter was of a mindset at that point in his spirit. And by the way, you can be saved and even think you love God and still be a racist. Right now, the social justice warriors and the keyboard warriors love to say that anybody that has a racial undertone must not love God. Peter loved God, but he had to learn that God said he's no respecter of persons. What I've cleansed, that call not common. He had to learn that. And we need to be patient with people and help them learn. But once the word of God is clearly presented to somebody, that racist stuff's got to go away. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I love my church, but it is way too monochromatic. What's monochromatic mean, Andy? One color. If our church doesn't look like our community, we're doing something wrong. And if our community is 20% Latino, there needs to be some Latinos in here. And if our church is 15% African American, there ought to be some African Americans in here. In my soul, we ought to be doing something that stirs up enough curiosity for the homosexual to wander in here from time to time. But Andy, I like our little church just like it is. We'll get over it. Because Jesus said all nations. And he's unbiased. It's unambiguous. By the way, unbiased. Acts 17.26. It's Paul saying this, not me. And Paul's under inspiration. Not Paul. Yeah, Paul. Well, let me look it up now. I can't remember. I don't want to tell you wrong. 
Pastor, you don't know this right off? No, I am not. Dr. Davis, just give me a minute. We're ahead of schedule. Relax. We'll get out way before 1 o'clock. It is Paul. I should have trusted myself. Followed my heart, no less. Paul said this, hath made of one blood all nations. Hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. Y'all were no different. We all bleed the same red blood and we all are either going to heaven or hell. You see, these instructions, they're unambiguous, they're unbiased, but you know what else? They're unyielding. He didn't give us a choice of what we would or would not teach. He said, teaching them to observe whatsoever I've commanded you. We don't have room for our opinions, and we don't have room for our interpretations. We don't have room for our preferences. He said, you teach them what I've commanded you. Unyielding. Kind of sounds like what he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, and the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Be able to teach others also. The same. I'm going to tell you where churches got off the path a long time ago is when we started lifting up man's opinion and how this preacher does it and how that college does it, and we got away with what the Bible actually says. You know, in the 16 years I've been pastoring, if I go back in time 10 of those years, I've changed a lot. Because I found out some of the stuff I was preaching and teaching and living was just flat out wrong because it wasn't in the Bible. Hmm. Y'all pray for him. He's going non-denominational. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. He gave us a purpose, and he's given us a plan. But I'll tell you what else he's given us. He's given us a promise. And that promise is what activates the whole thing. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Now here's the promise. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. There's his promise. Can I tell you, we can't, we can't find the purpose or activate the plan without that promise. Because, because how does he fulfill that promise? Physically, he's not here. So how is he with us? Who did he send? He sent a comforter, didn't he? His Holy Spirit indwells the lives of every believer. And that's how he fulfills that promise. And without the Holy Spirit, we can't get any of this done. Any of it. But here's the thing within this promise. Regardless of our sense of purpose and our willingness to follow his plan, none of us can be effective without relying on that promise. But even within this promise, there are three elements that we need to look at. First of all, he promised his presence. Lo, I am with you always. Always. Now, I did some digging. And the Greek word for always is interesting. It means always. Where do we take him that he has to go? What do we put before him that he has to watch? What do we listen to that he has to hear? 
because he's with us always. But he promised his presence. And I'm going to tell you, that comes in real handy when you feel all alone. And you will. But you know what else he promised? He promised to pay off. And lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. Now, some people would read that as a negative thing, but it's not. There's an end to all this, y'all. I'm going to stay with you until all this foolishness is over. But it will be over one day. I watched a video the other day of a woman defending the whole transgender movement and, and, and identifying and so forth. And she said, I can show you the video. She said, we can't prove that chickens identify as male or female. Chickens! Now, never be unkind to anybody. Not only should we treat transgender people kindly and with respect every human deserves, we have done so. They've been here before. We have done so. But y'all, I'm telling you, when we start grasping at the straws of whether or not a chicken identifies as something, we've got a serious problem on our hands in this nation. And don't get me started on the fact that I'm paying off that lady's student loan. I shouldn't have went there. And sometimes if we're not careful, we look at the world around us and we're like, oh, my soul, could it get crazier? The answer is yes. It can get a whole lot worse. I hear people say, it can't get any worse than this. Yes, it can. Ask the people under Stalin. Ask the people under Hitler. Ask the people under Pol Pot. Ask the people under Mao. Yes, it can get worse. I don't believe it will while we're here. I think we got to get out of the way first. It can get worse, but I think God's going to get us out of here. The point is this. He offers a payoff. I'm going to be with you all the way even unto the end of the world. Hey, y'all, it's going to get bad, but there's an end in sight. There's light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm going to be with you when you get there. <laughs> there's a promise of a payoff. And then there's something we tend to overlook. There's the promise of a pledge. God stamps his pledge that he is going to see to it that this is how it is. Sorry, Miss Becky. Hmm. We'll go back up here. Better. First person ever to kill a fake plant. That's some powerful preaching right there when the plants start losing it. There's a pledge. <laughs> hey, I promise you my presence. I'm with you all the way. There's a payoff even until the end of the world. Amen. Amen's not just something we throw on the end of our prayers. You know what amen means? It is so. Count on it. Bank on it. I said it. That settles it. Amen. All right, let's regroup. Forget the plant and all that.
So what? We are busily making plans in the office, in our staff meetings and so forth, to resurrect what COVID nearly killed in our outreach. There will be opportunities for door-to-door -door visitation. There will be opportunities for in-home visits and following up on prospects, and those are useful and needful. But the purpose of this message is not to guilt everybody into making sure that you're there every Tuesday night or Thursday night or Saturday morning or whatever it ends up being. That's not my purpose. Which would I rather have? A handful of people show up on a Tuesday night to feel guilted to be here, disgruntled, and they mingle in with people that are excited to be here and ultimately get them unexcited. Or would I rather have a group of people in the church that understand that we are under a mandate from God himself to be witnesses everywhere we go, no matter what we do? If nobody shows up on Tuesday night but everybody in my church is witnessing, that's a win. That's a win. So this is not about packing out this given ministry or whatever, although those opportunities are going to exist, and I'm going to encourage you to get involved in something that works for you. But even if we never open up visitation again, if we never do, do follow-ups on prospects, if we never do anything like that, that does not exonerate us from the responsibility that we have to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He's not just talking about the missionaries that we support. He's talking about us. Well, Andy, how am I going to do it? I'll tell you how. Be reminded of your purpose. The sovereign God of the universe said so. Follow his plan and rest in his promise. And when we do that, we will be successful, worshipful witnesses.